If you if you can you know take a step back, give yourself the space to have a think about things, and you know think about your business model. You know what what is my business model? What does it look like? Can I break it down into kind of how you know? The, the, as I say, I typically think there's nine key elements to a business model. But you know w- what are your buckets, and then try and capture your thoughts into those nine buckets. And what you'll find is that there are. A couple of buckets or a couple of areas of your business that are going to look fragile, or the ones, and typically they're the ones that are causing the issue, or the the ones that are having the impact that's causing the issue. So if you can if you can create that awareness, that will allow you to work on your business rather than in it. So giving yourself the space rather than being down in the trenches to kind of take a step back, have that awareness, and I think what that will help business owners do is just see that actually you know we're doing an awful lot right. It's just a couple of areas that we're not we're not doing so well, and if we can fix that, then that actually gets rid of all my problems. Hi, I'm Neil Armstrong from Growth Cycle Coaching, and you're listening to the Traveling Optimist podcast with Steve Bodie. Greetings, everyone, and a warm welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you with me. How have you been? It's been a while. Uh, I've missed this, to be honest, and so my apologies for the delay in bringing you another episode of The Travelling Optimist. I took some time out to start what I hope to be the blazing of a new trail work-wise, but I'll fill in the blanks on a later show as things haven't been finalised yet. But um, in this episode, I'm going to introduce you to one of Scotland's finest, one of their hidden treasures, a guy who is himself blazing his own trail, Neil Armstrong. He's a high-level thinker. He's a person with that rare ability to not only be able to break down complex issues about business, but also come up with a roadmap to help stricken business owners. What was great about this conversation is that Neil is one of those guys that takes a question and he just runs with it. He has a wealth of knowledge and experience, and that stems from building a successful career in global sales and marketing. He's a confessed addict to solving problems and now fuels that addiction to coaching business owners to achieve greater levels of success. Growth Cycle Coaching was born out of a desire to help and being the generous soul that he is, Neil has kindly offered all of my business owner listeners a free hours coaching. So please do take him up on that and all the contact details will be in the show notes. So this is me and Neil Armstrong, a guy who has truly found his lane in life Someone with immense likability, but ultimately the big question he wants you to ask yourself is, how can you do it better? Okay, let's go. Hello, Neil. Welcome to the Travelling Optimist podcast, uh, the home of optimism. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Steve. Well, that's an absolute pleasure. Um, now I know that this is your first podcast, so uh, I, I'm deeply oh, honoured. Broken the secret, this. okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. Um, I, I see. The thing is, I can always edit that bit out. Um, uh, how are you, anyway? How's life in Scotland? Uh, superb. Um, we great. Uh, it's 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 obviously been an interesting day on the news. We've had uh, one extreme, the UK government giving the budget, and the other extreme, we've been having this debacle with. Uh, Salmond and the and the Scottish government, uh, Nicola Sturgeon giving her evidence, and so um, I have had more conversations at the school gates and whatever about you know, national news and the radio than I ever have in the preceding couple of years. So uh, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a good day. It's been eventful. Um, <laughs> whereabouts do you live in Scotland? 
I'm in Edinburgh, so um, obviously the capital of Scotland, and uh, yeah, it's uh, been been born and bred here, but I've not always worked and lived here. So, uh, but I've returned ah. returned in the, uh, in the in the more adult portion of my life. Oh, excellent! I, let, I mean, I, the thing is, right? I, I'd like to get a bit geeky about Edinburgh because actually, it's one of my favourite places, and I'm, I'm not just saying that. Okay, so I've not seen the Edinburgh tattoo or anything like that, but we had a few nights in Edinburgh and we did a touring holiday around uh, around the west. Uh, a west started off in Edinburgh and then went over to uh, to the west coast, and, and and it was just fantastic, and I loved it. But our stay in Edinburgh was lovely because we stayed in the Balmoral. <laughs> and okay um, so that sets a standard okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we're, yeah we were we were very lucky um and uh but it was it set the tone and actually it was a really great uh, really great few days so going up to the castle and everything it's a lovely place yes um and and i hope it remains that way i'll be honest i you know as as, as things have sort of broken down we, it does feel a bit like we're at a living museum in the way that sometimes scotland's promoted um yeah, obviously, there's there's a lot of things going on being a being a, a capital city, um, but there's no getting away from what is some fantastic architecture and, and the history and everything that we have with that. Um, but but what's particularly interesting? Um, I mean, when, when was that? When did you come up? When did, when was that? Oh, it, it was a, it was over ten years ago now. So yeah, right. we, we do so, another so, trip. So I would imagine if I suddenly warped you into Princess Street where the Balmoral is and, you know, took, took the proverbial blindfold off, I think you'd have a proper moment where you went, wow, that's changed. Um, yeah. You know, the tram system's now in place. There's, there's a lot of work going down. It's, it's, the, it's a funny, considering it's the city centre, it's the funniest city centre street in the world because, as you know, it's only got shops going down one side. And then on the other side is this incredible vista with the, the, the park and then the the, um, the, the castle, etc. And you know that's that's almost pedestrianised. I think that's the ultimate intention. Um, but the whole city is going through a bit of a bit of a transformation and uh, dare I say a bit of a modernisation as well. So it's this interesting balance between the new and the old. And uh, and I would suggest that again, they're right. It's 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 great to see. So it's about time yeah. for another visit. I would say. Oh, absolutely no! It's, it's definitely on the list. We were talking about it the other night, actually. So um, we we met a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and um, you know we we'd, uh, we so we were talking about life and business and stuff. And so I thought, why not come on the pod- podcast and and uh, and and let's hear a little bit about your story. Everyone's got a story, I, I believe. And so what? Let, let's sort of skip back right back to the beginning. Beginning and and what is your sort of intro where where are you where are you from and you know how what was life like as a as a kid growing up in scotland <laughs> uh well uh, my perspective on it is uh very simple i i as i said was born and bra- bred raised reared whatever word you want to use in, in edinburgh um so a little village outside of edinburgh called Belerno, which has now become a fairly um Commutersville village, um, and at the time it was very small, local local school, and then you know just progressed up through the ranks of school. Uh, I ended up actually attending a boarding school, which was a was which was still Edinburgh based, and I, I, my, my parents actually moved away from Edinburgh, which is one of the reasons why I was at this boarding school. But you know that often people ask, you know, what what was that like as a transition moving from a you know a day school to a boarding school, and all I can answer was it was amazing. It, it, it absolutely suited my character. 
um, which was effectively spending 24-7 with your best mates in the world playing sport. And okay, there's probably a bit of academia involved in there as well, but, you know, it was great fun. Uh, After that, um, you know, I I ended up just getting on that path that I think so many of us do, which is, you know, trundled off the university without really any clear insight as to (laughs) why I was going. I knew the course I was off to do, but I didn't really know why I did I just I didn't stop to think at that point it was just yeah. kind of a, a, a conveyor belt of activity and so the sort of first real interesting decision I had to make was um, part of the way through my university course where I had to or I was invited to reset I should say I didn't have to I'd like to just underline that but mm-hmm. I'd had I'd had bronchial pneumonia so having passed my exams I'd had a miserable time of it so they suggested I might sit an extra year which which I was having a great time so why would I not why would I not do that again? Uh, and, you know, that was a decision that kind of gave me some benefit because I, I guess I find a little bit more focus in the last few years of, of uni, having, you know, had the time to revisit some studies. And I wasn't allowed to do the same exams again. So it actually gave a huge breadth to what fundamentally was a science degree for me. I ended up coming out with a degree in biochemistry, but with no real intention of wanting to be a scientist. So at least I'd had one learning out of the entire education process. But it did have a benefit later on in my career. But uh, and, and from there, second decision, what, what to do with life, you know. So if I'd finished my education as it was at the time. And I thought, well, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. I have no insight as to what's next. So I decided, uh, my flatmate and I, one night, possibly with a few beers in us, decided that, you know, we're okay rugby players. This is uh, 1998. So the game had turned professional in 95. Scot- Scotland was arguably still very amateur though and so him and I decided that well why don't we pick somewhere in the world where our skills is, are going to be vaguely appreciated and someone might want to part with some money to pay us to be there and so we chose Canada <laughs> Canada uh, as, as, a, as a country where we thought well they play rugby but it's it's you know they're not on the world stage as, as in, in, in any you know way or sense so it's probably going to be a reasonably low level so you know, go and play in a pond where you might be a big fish was kind of the the attitude that we had. When we arrived, however, there was a moment where we we, we we arrived on a Friday night and there was a game on the Saturday and they suggested that maybe we don't play that game because we were really quite jet-lagged. And uh, as the players ran out into the pitch, David and I looked at each other and we're kind of, hmm, maybe we should have done some research because these guys were huge, highly athletic, machines of things and we were kind of mid-sized at best and uh, we thought oh my god this could be awful and uh, but you know you got to stick to what you know and and what we knew were skills what they had was physicality and what we had were skills so actually as as the season progressed it became a great combination of, of stuff um you know following that career path there was a brief spell in charleston south carolina uh where I sort of hung out with their their rugby team, uh, college team, did the preseason training with them, and then kind of came back to Scotland to to kind of grow up a bit and get a real job. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I still, but I still didn't know what that was. Uh, so I sort of, you know, had one of these discussions with a friend of mine who was in recruitment, and said, "Wow, you know, Neil, you're, you're pretty good with people, and 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 you know a bit about science. So why don't you become a medical rep?" And and I said, okay, what, what does that look like? And they said, well, you you get a company car, and you know you're pretty independent, and uh, you know these these and they they, they describe the pharmaceutical industry. 
clearly not having ever worked in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, that was a, a massive chunk of my career. I think I spent sort of 12, yeah. 13 years in the pharma industry from that point, sort of moving through various stages and ranks as, as I went up to finally into a, a global role. Which then, just to complete that sort of CV of things, I, I then had ended up living in Geneva. So we travelled from Edinburgh to Toronto to South Carolina, back to Edinburgh, down to London, out to Geneva, and then back to London where I decided, well, my future wife, Claire, and I were living together. We said, oh, we're going to, you know, get married and in all likelihood, if we're blessed, we'll have a child. So, you know, why don't we, why don't we think about heading back to Edinburgh? And uh, so we returned up here and then that was when I left the pharmaceutical industry. And at that point, it became a, a, a career of SMEs. So worked for a couple through the years um, from professional services to technology businesses, uh, usually in roles with titles such as director of BD or director of marketing or head of marketing or yeah, you know, something like that, and uh, and then ultimately, um, finally left my last employed role, sitting on a sun lounger on holiday, where I thought I want to do something more, and um, that, as I say, was my last employed role, and mm. I sort of after that began to gravitate into consultancy and then coaching, which is about two years ago started Growth Cycle Coaching. Uh, well, sort of formally put a name to it anyway, but, uh, yeah. but that, that was the formal bit, and 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 that's been that's been the the CV to date. Yeah. Sorry. How long how long ago was that? Uh, well, as I say, formally probably growth cycle coaching was uh, January two thousand and I think it was seventeen. I should probably really know that, but it, it was kind of a a merging of stuff that I've been doing, and then just sort of formalizing it. And then yeah. on top of that, I'm involved in another couple of businesses with some director roles and non-exec stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. bit 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 more of a portfolio piece there. But um, that's it. So, how long were you in Canada for then? Not that long. Uh, I arrived out in springtime, which was a beautiful time. Uh, just before it began to get hot. And then bearing in mind that I was coming from Scotland, when it sort of broke through the mid-20s and, and ruptured into the 30s, I was thinking, this is hot. And it seemed to do that over about two weeks. I, it just suddenly ramped up. And then very quickly, you know, with, with the humid out there, you were talking, you know, playing rugby in sort of 40 plus degrees where, you know, the, the goalpost would be doing some wibbly wobbly thing at one end of the pitch uh, through, through, the, through the heat haze. And, uh, and I, just, I, I wasn't initially, I really wasn't built for that kind of, certainly never played rugby in those conditions. And in, in the first match I did play, uh, I, I remember <laughs> everyone was warming up and they looked at me and said, you, you're not going to warm up, Neil? And I was like, I can't, I'm too warm already. And then the game started. And then the next thing I woke up, sitting on the side of the pitch underneath a tree and I, th- I thought I'd been knocked out I actually didn't know what had happened and so I kind of stood up and walked to the touchline and, and you know there were people there and they're oh yeah, you're right and I was like yeah yeah what, what happened and they said well hilarious thing uh you were in the middle of a ruck and you came out with the ball and you looked kind of one way and you looked the other way and then you just dropped the ball and just walked off the pitch and as you <laughs> came up and, and we were all wondering what was wrong but as you came off the pitch you were muttering water water and i and i think i just i was overheated i think i was just I, I, wow. I, so there was a huge acclimatization that went on so i have a, a massive appreciation for um i mean this summer for example hopefully the lions tour will happen and you know the, it doesn't look obviously like south africa is going to be a 
a destination. But I think you know it'd be great if they could go out to Australia. And yeah. uh, but you know these players are going to be you know moving from one one environment to another, and that that acclimatization process is is sometimes just brutal. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, it was it was an interesting. Experience. So uh, sorry, your question was how long was I there? So over the summer, and then finally got to sort of September, October, I think it was. So what's that about? eight, nine months. And then on the radio, when I woke up in the morning, they began to kind of talk about seconds. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't understand it for a while. Um, you know, they were talking about sort of, it's a, it's, it's going to be a 40 seconder today, you know, and then they'd laugh about it. And I was like, what does that mean? And I asked someone in, in Canada, I said, what, what is this 40 second thing? And oh, they're just joking. Um, at the moment we said, but you know, when, when, when we get into the proper winter, it's too depressing to talk about minus 20, minus 30. It's just, it's just awful. So they talk about the amount of time it will take you to die in seconds. If you just went out, you know, without any clothes on or, or something like that. And I thought, you know, I, again, I just didn't know whether they were joking or not. And then suddenly October came and it was like flipping. It was a bit like that spring to summer period. The weather just changed and it was freezing. It was absolutely Baltic. And, and that I was, you know, I was supposed to go down to South Carolina at that point anyway. So I just brought that forward a month because it was either invest in a, in a winter weather wardrobe or take my shorts and t-shirt and go down to, you know, South Carolina, enjoy the surf down there. So I went early. It was a no-brainer as far as I was concerned. So, so what did the Canadians learn from you from a rugby perspective then? Do, do you know, that, that, that is a great question. Not much would probably be my answer, but I'll explain why. Um, the challenge with Canada is they didn't have a lot of, and this is a, this is a broad spectrum statement I'm about to make, but the challenge was that they were... I mean, let me back up and answer that in a different way, sorry. Rugby in Canada has got to be somewhere near the 8th or 10th sport that people will elect to choose. So you've got um, lacrosse and Canadian football and, you know, ice hockey and all these things. Yeah. So, you know, when you get down to rugby, it's not fair to say that it's, you know, it's not like school games where you choose the best team, best players for that team, and then it drops down. You know, the guys that are playing that game are some real physical specimens. But there's not a lot of experience or internal talent or there wasn't around about that time. So, you know, how are they supposed to learn the game? And Toronto is really quite a cosmopolitan city. And I played for a team that kind of really epitomized that because they were called the Toronto Nomads. So if anyone from there ever hears, get in touch, you know, <laughs> you shout out to the Toronto Nomads. And it was full of eclectic people. You know, you had New Zealanders and a lot of Welsh for whatever reason. Big expat community. And a couple of guys that were in charge of the club at the time, who were also still playing, were English guys from the era where, you know, the big rolling mall and that physical presence of, of the English players was very much had been the sort of forefront of their game. And that was fine, you know, for an English setup. But when you looked at the Canadian physiques, they were fast and athletic and strong. And, you know, it was much more of a kind of, Ian McGeekin wrote a, game, a book called Total Rugby. And it was a much more kind of akin to a free-flowing, less set-piece kind of game. That's yeah. what the physicality that they were capable of. But they were being coached into a um, let's mull it up front kind of approach. And I, I just felt there was, a, there, was, there was a discrepancy there between what they were capable of and where the game was going as to what they were actually being coached. 
And then the second part of that puzzle was also the refereeing. The refing was very inconsistent and maybe a bit, there, there, were, there were some big gaps. You know, in that first game I talked about, uh, I watched a player step outside his opposite man on the wing, effectively clotheslined, feet up in the air, you know, head, 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 head below the feet, kind of hit the ground hard, you know, something that you would never see on a rugby pitch in, in, in certainly in the UK. Mm-hmm. And the game carried on. I couldn't believe it. You know, I was I was out of my seat going, what? And then the game cycled back to our side of the pitch, you know, and one of our guys ran into the ruck and accidentally tripped over one of our players and, and stood on him by mistake. One of our guys stood on one of our players. Next thing you know, he's off, you know, red card off, you know, and, and so the, the description of rucking over there was very different and, 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 and the refing was very different to allow the sport to develop. So, um, what did I bring to it? I, I think, you know, my attitude was much more about convincing the, the coaches and the players that we could play a much more expansive game. And so as you looked at maybe the second 15 forwards were less physically competent. So they were playing much more of this open game. And when you mesh them with, let's say, you know, quite often you'll play first 15 forwards with second 15 backs and you know just to mix it up and when you saw that mesh work you know suddenly it was like oh my gosh we've got we've got a different gear to work with here mm-hmm. um and and so yeah, it was that sort of it was that sort of insight that i i i, I think i sort of argued for and and brought yeah. to it a bit more athleticism shall we say rather than just the upfront old-fashioned grunt yeah yeah uh, and i guess it's no coincidence then since after you left that the Canadian rugby has improved, you know, like a thousandfold. Do you know something? I, I'm astounded that they're not bigger on the world scene. I mean, particularly when you think about America and Canada, uh, clearly my influence was, was, was negligible uh, in developing that. But when you look at the plethora of players, you know, just, and I, this is where I thought it began to change maybe five, 10 years ago, you know, the, the, the mm. amount of scholarships and support that you could get going into universities and colleges to, to play the game to then pay your fees i thought you'd really see the game develop a lot more than it has but you know there's, there's i mean if you know if you really want an appraisal of the modern game you really probably need to speak to a uh <laughs> a, a modern a modern player because i've been watching the six nations this year and never have i felt so far away from a game i i it's it's not the game that i played it's evolved to a point where I think there's, you know, commentators and 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 spectators are all sort of scratching their heads a wee bit, thinking, "I'm, I'm not sure I'm really enjoying this." So, uh, I, I think. Well, if you're an England supporter, you're definitely not enjoying it. <laughs> and if you're a Welsh a Welsh fan, yeah, you're just <laughs> yeah. mystified and celebrating. So it's it's great. Yeah, absolutely. What I find interesting, though, and just sort of staying on this point about you you going over to Canada and then going down to South Carolina and so on was the decision to go and do it rather than go and get a job. And I just wondered what your thought process was that was with that, because actually I'm a, I'm a real believer in, in there. Everyone's got masses of time to do these things. And if you've got an opportunity to go abroad and, and, you know, experience new things, I say, go for it. Um, and there's no better chance to do it really in between that sort of that period of, if you've, uh, sort of left school or if you're leaving university and you've got that that time where actually you don't need to worry about your career too much anyway do you well it it wasn't an option for me to go from school and do a gap year because I wasn't that kind of guy uh you know I, I wasn't motivated enough I didn't have 
you know, a vision of traveling the world. In fact, you know, Canada to me, what, as I said, the decision was made with a couple of beers in hand, sitting there trying to sort of <laughs> almost avoid the next step in life, which was getting the job. Um, but whatever the paradigm of that thought making was, it's, it's probably the same paradigm that sort of stuck with me the whole way. And, you know, looping forward in time to kind of actually some of the more recent months, you know, I think mindset is and, and mindfulness has been a real key that so people are becoming more aware with or the where for all is, is, is there for it. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's one of these things when people begin to kind of open up their mindset and, and be more mindful and have that, that, that broader, broader kind of horizon, shall we say, to be to things things begin to happen to you, you know, when you, you not to sound too bohemian, but when you sort of connect to the universe, you know, things present themselves. And I often use the analogy of, you know, there was a point in time when I was really materialistic uh, <laughs> when you wanted those finer things. And one of those fine things that I wanted was a Panerai watch. And, and uh, you know, when I made that decision, suddenly every person that I spoke to, you know, I was looking at their watch and I was seeing an awful lot more Panerais than I'd ever seen in my entire life. And, 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 and I think when you, when you connect to, you know, when you just allow your mind to open, you know, quite often, whether it's intuition, the, you know, however you want to frame it, you end up having these kind of adventures and, and experiences. And, and that, you know, that, that journey to Toronto was based around a few beers and then, but then you've got to make it happen. Right. And uh, I had to find a team that wanted to recruit me, <laughs> you know. So we had to make videos of us playing, which you know looked surprisingly like. Well, the team we were playing against was surprisingly like our second fifteen, and you know I seemed to score in the places where. You know, so I'm not to say it was staged, but it was. Um, so you create these sort of TV videos, and you send them off, and you know there's something that we'd never done. Um, the, the videos got reviewed. You have your interviews. You go out. You play. You do your thing. Um, so in some ways you've just got to come up with the idea and then work back from there. And, you know, I didn't have an idea about starting growth cycle coaching. It wasn't my intention. In fact, actually there was a complete void about what I wanted to do, but, but I knew I didn't want to be doing what I was doing. So, yeah. um, having resigned, I gave myself six months of, uh, hanging out with my son, really. I hadn't, I hadn't properly spent much time with him in those six months and that was cool, but you know, quite quickly, I got, I got a bit bored. Um, you know, you're just, you're used to a momentum, you know, you're used to a routine and a structure and a day yeah. and, and whatnot. And, and the phone rang a couple of times and it was people ringing me up to sort of maybe ask me to do some consultancy and things. And, and I, I went in and the money, the money was actually very good. It was, it was great, but it was even worse than being employed in terms of fulfillment. I was like, oh my God, I, I'm so not enjoying this. I'm doing the best job I can for these people. But I personally, I feel so unfulfilled. And it was almost through the negative that it started pushing me towards the positive. So, you know, I opened up my mind and I, and I, I can't remember, I think I might have described this story before. Um, I think what I, was, what I was struggling to rediscover was my intent in life. And, um, and it was through assembling, <laughs> in inverted commas, some Ikea furniture 
that I got so frustrated and angry. It was a real trigger point. And I, and, 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 and I caught myself. I thought, this is, you're far too emotional for just getting upset over a piece of furniture. What's going on? And so I reframed it in a more positive sense, you know, in terms of, you know, what, what is it? What is it that's really irritating you? And I couldn't answer that question. So I thought, well, make it easier. Kind of, you know, what do you believe? And, I, and, and it, it was simply in that expression, I find that intent, which was, I believe this could be done better. I believe this consultancy piece can be done better. I believe this IKEA furniture thing could be done better. Uh, you know, I, and then I thought, reflecting on that moment of kind of insight for myself, I thought that's actually what's been driving you the whole the whole way through. I believe the Canadians could. Uh, you know, when I was out there, I, I felt we could play better rugby as a team. When I when I came back and I was working for in the pharmaceutical industry, what drove me was thinking. This could be done better. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get myself into a position where I can make it better. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow on that path. And ultimately, it was through the reflection of, you know, consultancy. I think is, is fine, but I don't feel like it's getting the traction that I want with my clients. So, what about a different methodology? You know, could it be done better? And I, that's when I invested a lot of time and effort in developing my coaching methodology and understanding more about that and, and the impact it could have and you know ultimately focusing that then on the individuals who who own and run these businesses to help them create businesses that are better making them better helping them to be better and therefore get the results that they really you know deserve if they if they if they make that investment in themselves mm. and their business um, and that's where the whole make more profit, revenue, and freedom, uh, freedom, freedom to run your business better, freedom for your people to work better, freedom for you maybe not to be as so intensely involved in the business. Um, you know, freedom is obviously pretty subjective, but you know, it, it does cover a plethora of emotional states. That's yeah. that's been the inspiration over the last few years is, is is to take that to to business owners. So is it like a is it more self running business? So is it trying to get these? owners into the a position where the business runs itself rather than them running the business that's kind of answered by the, the name of the business so growth cycle coaching the inspiration there was i wanted something that was a bit raw and seal <laughs> you know, i wanted it to say what it did in the tin and you know the the observation and research is very much that you know every business is unique because it's got it you know it's, it's people or its product are, are unique um but there's a there's a distinct commonality to how businesses grow and you can look at those in distinct stages. You know, you've got your startup stage, so you've got a, a concept. You know, can you commercialize it? Can you can you prove that people are willing to pay money for it? You, you then move into a you know what is a kind of growth stage, but it but it, what you'll tend to find is that the the reality of that is you you, you grow and you you pause and then you might have a bad year and then a good year and a bad year and what often you're seeing is that people are winning client almost as fast as they're losing client or they're selling product but then it's you know and 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 it's 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 effectively if you if you train that line it's fairly static they're making an okay living but in terms of real profit no what what they're really probably doing is paying themselves a bit of a salary and then topping it up with dividends and then not really investing it in growing their assets of the business uh, or shifting the business model to allow them to 
to kick on. So that's, let's say, stage two of, a, of an SME. So those, those two categories really do cover the, the S and the M. And then as you get to be a sort of a, a larger business, you know, you, that's when you're looking for your scaled approach. You know, you, you've, you've proven the concept of the product. You've probably got, you know, some, some reasonable product architecture in there in terms of a, a scale of products you want to do. Now it's about scaling that out and really seeing that, that trend and growth and developing the assets that are really kind of creating the, the, the value of your business. So mm. working on your business rather than in your business. And the kind of key areas that I tend to find myself working in, although, you know, COVID has, has, has certainly made me think and slightly pivot in terms of my product offering, is that, you know, I, I for, for whatever reasons, I just kind of anchored myself predominantly more into Scotland and in the, in the immediate vicinity of Edinburgh, just geographically and time-wise. And, and that, generally spoke to the, the smaller or, or, or lower mid-sized businesses in terms of turnover. And uh, yeah, so, so, so the effort has been, is about helping them understand the type of business model you write might require, the type of things that will accelerate you, hence the growth cycle coaching, to accelerate you into that next growth cycle uh, and, and, and help you to sort of fulfill the, the, the vision that you have for your business and, and your life. Yeah. From your sort of scientific engineering kind of background would you is that without i would say that that structured approach lends your sort of personality and the way that you do the way that you work lends itself to just a much more structured approach which i think sometimes business owners start off with but it kind of just gets you know washed away as the years go by because you get so involved with lots of other things oh there's a new shiny thing over there i need to start that and then you know, and and all of a sudden, that whole structure goes by the wayside. Well, You're coming it, it, in, then sort of picking up the pieces a little bit and putting yeah. it back into place, kind of thing. Or I think, well, you know, it's probably easier to talk in examples. So, you know, if, if you're someone starting up a business, um, and you know, there's a lot of incubators around at the moment and that kind of thing. So, if you're lucky to get get involved in them, then 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 you are, then you learn a structure, and and that's great. Mm-hmm. Your, your real challenge initially is about, do I have a product and can I deliver it? Now, great, I do. So how do I start getting clients or customers? How, and then how do I convert them? So, you know, there's a distinct, what's my product? How do I prospect? How do I uh, convert that prospecting in, into a customer? And then how do I deliver it? To be honest with you, that doesn't really change, you know, from a small business to a big business, that doesn't change. So you think, well, well, well what does have to change there? And if you think about the evolution of a business, you know, it, it's when it's small and and dynamic, you know, there's there's many people wearing many hats. Very, and it, and it, it typically is very operational. As I say, you know, you, your main mission is is just to get people to kind of understand what it is that you can do for them and get them to pay some money for it. So for them to value it and for you for you to get that value. Um, as you prove that concept, you're then trying to sort of multiple that. You're, you're, you're trying to move on from that stage and you, bring, you begin to bring in resource. So that operational team expands. So you've got your sales guys, you've got your delivery guys, um, that might be a product or it might be, uh, you know, a, a consultancy or something or a professional service skill. And then, you know, as the business grows, you know, you'll start having to send out invoices. You'll, you'll need to, you'll need to manage this, these people. So, you know, you begin to create that sort of back office infrastructure. Add on top of that, well, you know, we, we're growing. We need, we need to maybe think about 
about sort of marketing and their presence and we've got websites and we, oh, we also need IT infrastructure to support that. So you know, what you see is uh, infrastructure growth and, uh, and our operational growth tending to happen at the same time. That's when businesses start to get tricky because there's, there's no clear understanding of what growth means and there's no clear language of understanding growth. And amongst all that, they're aware that they need some strategy. So, you know, you know, have we really got a firm idea about what the vision of this business is, the, 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 the product that we're selling? Is, is it relevant or is it evolving? How are we positioning that? Um, and then how are we taking it to market? And, you know, people get really caught up in, in, in trying to th- think that stuff through. But, you know, when I sit down with a client, nine times out of ten, if you ask them to kind of list the top five things they're working on, and then you begin to label them as are they strategic, are they operational, are they kind of you know infrastructure based, so finance or HR or whatever it might be. You know, nine times out of ten, they're 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 working in their business. They're either delivering, selling, or they're over there trying to trying to manage and do stuff. There's very little effort that's going on in that strategic picture, um, and it's and and it's. It's just that evolution as as a business grows and as you be big, you know, build bigger teams, mm. the communication levels aren't necessarily quite there. The infrastructure is not there to support it. The the guiding pieces of that vision and and the culture and the values those are the things that truly need to be nurtured in order to get uh, everything else to work and. From my perspective, it's often going in to, un- to, to help explain and, and 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 deliver to them through a coaching methodology systems that they can then embed within their their uh, their business. You know, all, all businesses are unique. You know, and and these business owners know their businesses better than anyone. The approach I have is to help them understand and get that space for 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 the things that aren't working so well. Uh, and to focus in on them to make them work better, and to acknowledge that things are working well, and and you know to, to kind of let go of those for a while. You know th- those are not the priority things. So um, there's not that many things you need to think about in a business. There's really not. And if you ask any business owner, they're usually a stressed Eric. They've got a hundred things in their head at any one time. But if you can help them to capture those thoughts into you know the six or nine things that you need to know within a business suddenly it becomes an awful lot simpler to think about. And then what you'll tend to find is that there's only one or two things that probably need to be worked on mm. to, to, to have a significant impact and benefit to that business. Mm. Um, and, you know, getting them into focusing on that suddenly makes things an awful lot simpler for, for these poor owners to think about, you know, <laughs> you know and, 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 and I'd say probably one of the key things I try and get people to, to, to do is transition away which is not always the easiest thing for them to do, but transition away from working in the business to at least spending a lot more time working on the business. Um, uh, and quite often that first step, that triage step, is about resource and capability and getting yeah. the right people to be doing some of the things, so delegating and devolving responsibilities into these teams. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's sometimes not something that can happen overnight. You know, jo- job descriptions are often rewritten or people need some investment in them to develop the skills. But ultimately, you're looking to create that capacity 
for the business owner to, to be able to step back. And, you know, if we roll back to the start of COVID, I, you know, that was a lot of the triage calls that I was having with my alumni clients and whatnot, where, you know, they were so stressed because there was so much information floating around and they were having to make decisions, but they were so involved in the business again that, you know, they, they, they needed that ability to step back out and give themselves the time to just inhale what was going on because yeah. you know, it was so, you know, you do have to remind yourself how little we knew at the time. Um, mm. And, you know, furloughing, <laughs> I'd never heard of, actually, I had heard of furloughing, um, but only because it was in an episode of Friends once when that was, you know, showing for the first time. Um, I think Chandler or someone like that got furloughed and I <laughs> didn't, didn't realise I'd heard the word then, but uh, yeah, so I'd never even heard the word furloughed before, uh, yeah. before a year ago. So No, me neither, me neither. I mean, actually, interesting, you were talking about the sort of levels of uh work involved over the last few months and and i was speaking to somebody the other the other week about um a sort of entrepreneurial burnout and overwhelm and i think i think there's a massive there's a massive issue with that coming up i think with with um burnout and overwhelm particularly for business owners are you, are you how do you how do you feel, what do you see about that how do you feel about that i i don't know if i can find it to just business owners um i i think generally you know, there's a there's a huge challenge just generally in people. You know, we've gone through some really intense stuff, mm. and uh, and that's not to say it wasn't intense before all this began. You know, it's just been added to and added to, um, and but you know, particularly going back to business owners, yeah, I, th- I think uh, there is a degree of you know, a very just strong degree of uncertainty. I mean, we, you know, we, we've also had Brexit in that time. You know. Um, you know, speaking to the to the community, there's, there's there's businesses there that are are doing the right things, but depending on which day they get to customs and and which customs officers on, you know, it's it's they'll either their forms will be rejected or they won't. And you know, the, the, it, yeah, I, I think there's a real challenge in there, and I think it's a perfect opportunity not not to pitch just my services, but it's a perfect opportunity to to reach out, you know, and, and, but I do think a lot of business owners, I mean, they have a network, they'll have a peer group, they'll be typically involved in some sort of networking community, whether it's a chamber of commerce group or whatever it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, but, but I, I, I think it's a good chance to have a look at all that stuff and say, am I feeling supported? Do I feel alone? And, mm-hmm. and the answer to that, I've got to tell you is yes. I, I, mm-hmm. You know, I used to do it was obviously used to be face to face, but now it's it's virtually, you know, these sort of business clinics that I run as a sort of um you know, just the seminars that you know people can check into and you know we we we, uh, we I tailor them to the experience of the room. So you know we very quickly pick up you know what the main themes are in the room and we'll go through a kind of coaching process around that. And so people take away a value. Um and, and that's these are just clinics I run. They're not specific to clients or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a part of my prospecting process if you like you know and um in these rooms you can see the aha moment where as business owners you know you know you think you're alone that the problems you're facing are utterly unique to you Mm. and yet as i am able to describe them because obviously i've I've seen a lot of this but you know equally there's 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 a lot of research to help support it as well that the journey of a business and is, is is fairly predictable and when you know that, you can begin to predict what, when and what the challenges are going to be when you face them. And mm. when you get a room of 20, 30, 40 people all talking about, you know, the current challenges that they're facing, 
very quickly you can see the themes that are there and they recognize actually I'm not alone. While this guy to my right or this woman to my left or whomever, you know, while they're describing something that, okay, is a bit unique to their business, it's the same theme as what I'm facing in my business. Mm. And you can actually see a physical response when, when people are, have that moment, that clarity, that aha moment that I'm not alone in this pain. Other people mm. are feeling it too. And so I have no doubt in my mind that the, the business community has already, already rallied. And if you look at the trends, you know, so uh, speaking to Denver Chamber of Commerce the other day, um, a lot of their sort of masterclass type of things, you know, when, when you get technical people sort of having seminars to kind of educate, they're not proving as popular as the actual networking events. Mm-hmm. And these events have, have, are variable in terms of what they deliver. You know, you, you've got to ask why you're there and all that good stuff. But ultimately, I think there's a lot of people just looking for a bit of camaraderie within a business context. And I think they will need supported. And I think that mindset piece is going to be hugely important, not just for the business owners, but for them to be aware of and to help deliver into their micro community of their business. You know, and and I think they've been trying to do it and, and some have been doing it better than others in terms of looking after their staff. But I think the the echoes of all this as we hopefully return to a bit more normality are 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 going to echo for a while. And I think people need to be mindful of that going forward and be and be clear about how they're going to address it and engage with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the value of a coach will come to the fore over the next few months. You know, coming the, over the next year, even I would imagine, yeah. and and the value of somebody like yourself would be, you know, incredible. You you talked about you know profit revenue freedom and stuff and one thing yep. that i really into is purpose and do you find that some some business owners you know they've they've forgotten their their why you know um what was their you know their their, their main reason for doing it getting into business in the first place that kind of thing do you find that as a a common theme uh do you have to guide them into thinking you know what are you all about you know what are you at what are you doing this for the simple answer yes uh but you know, to expand on it a wee bit, one of the first things I engage with with all clients is, is, to, is to put a context. You know, with, without a context, there's no real world way of working out whether what direction we should take, what decisions we should make, and whether it's been successful or not. That mm-hmm. context might exist at a personal level. So there are people who are running their businesses just to make oodles of cash so that they can spend it on material things or invest in their family or, you know, whatever they want to do with it. But, but it's what do they want to do with it is really the important part. So, you know, ask any business, well, there's three reasons why people get into business on their own. It's you know, time, money, and freedom. You know, it's that, it's, that's, that's ultimately it. They, you know, they, they've, they've been working for some <coughs> bugger for, for too long and think, right, I'll just do it myself. And, and, and as I do it myself, I'll, I'll make loads more money and then I'll be, you know, my own boss. So I'll have plenty of time and, you know, you look around that same room I was describing earlier on and, and you think, how's it going for you guys? And they're like, yeah, no, no it's not like that at all. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so it's, it's, you, you gotta get a context behind it, you know? So, so if you, if, and when you make that money, how are you going to spend it? You know, what is it you want to do with it? And that becomes some really interesting stuff. You know, a, a guy, a, a chap, uh, I know sold his business and, uh, the journey to that selling of the business was not straightforward. You know, he thought it was worth X. Um, when he got it valued, it, it was nowhere near that. And you know, that was a body blow. But, you know, very quickly we created the, the, the assets and, and put a, you know, within 18 months, he had a very different 
valuation for it because we worked on the factors that changed the multiple value of the equation rather than just the intrinsic value. You know? mm-hmm. And uh, so, so we got a number. But the question when we when I asked him, what's your, so what do you want to do with this this cash when you retire when you when you when you leave your business? I said, you know, is it is it paying off the house? No, I've done that. You know, is it setting up maybe some some trusts or whatever for for your grandchildren? No, I've done that. Uh, is it buying some flash cars? I was I was beginning to run out of materialistic things. I was thinking, you know, I was about to move on to this sort of set up a charity or a foundation or something. And he, <laughs> he described to me, he said, oh, I want to go on a ski holiday. Now this guy was selling this business for, you know, his aspiration was a couple of million, you know, and, and I'm thinking that's an expensive ski holiday. And he, and he, and he sort of left into that. So oh, just to, just to be clear, Neil, it's not, to the Alps for a couple of weeks. This is where I was said to my wife, we'll, we'll, we'll travel around the world. We'll follow the snow. So this is a year. And I'm like, yeah, but you're talking millions and that's not going to cost that. And he said, really? What, what do you think it would cost? Now, I also happen to be a very keen skier. So I, I sort of threw out a figure and he said, really? He said, that, 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 do you think? And I went, well, let me ask you, what are you going to do with your house while you're traveling for a year? Are you just going to mothball it? Are you going to, you're going to rent it out? Are you going to do you know, some sort of, income from there you know so we began to talk through but ultimately you know his vision for his money was was to to kind of have a few adventures you know and Mm. and and that kind of thing other people uh you know have an ethos where they they, they've got something a product or service and it's much more sort of you know community spirit you know it's almost a a social bites attitude you know they want they they, they Mm. think they can improve and better humanity or or mankind or the or the planet and, and what they want to do and you know that's their driver it's not you know obviously they want to make some money while they go because they've got to live but you know it's the main driver is just to get it out there i've met plenty of business owner that, that is doing it for the ego you know mm. that they just want to be running their own thing and 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 uh you know be the head honcho and, and that's their purpose you know so so everyone's got a context finding that context and using that to steer the decision making is the key thing in terms of whether you formalize that as a as a as a vision for their business, again, I go back to you know what stage is your business at and how relevant is it? I think it's wonderful to start a business with a vision, but most people start a vision a business with an idea or you know an, an idea or a concept or or maybe mm. a, a widget that they've they franchise or something, and they don't know whether they're going to be successful. They're just going to do what it takes to get through those first weeks and months and get that revenue beginning to, to develop. And then at that point, you know, you begin to sort of think, well, do I need to pivot? Is this working? Or, or you know, if it's not working, I need to pivot and do something else or, or do I persevere and I carry on and I can add mm. more structure and investment and continue. Um, and I think that's really the stage where it becomes very powerful to have that 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 vision piece because it's it, it's what enables you to to galvanize and create a culture that you know the values and on all the things that we know underpin a business but mm. but don't necessarily get the, this, the the investment and the service that ultimately they do and yeah i've not answered that question very succinctly but ultimately i think most people have a context for what they're doing or they need reminded yeah. by it whether that's mm. actually formalized into a purpose for the business Yes, usually that does need some work. Um, nine times out of ten, though, I think probably one of the key areas that I often end up working with people is around about positioning. So 
the curse of the business owner is sort of shiny things. So we have a product, yeah, we're selling that. And we're, oh, here's an opportunity, shiny thing. So if we maybe just brought this into the portfolio, or if we sold this, or this is a great idea, how do we work it up? And oh, you know, and we'll do this as well. And, you know, quite quickly you've got, if you've got a sales team, you know, they're spasming from, from one target client to another target client. They're trying to sell a product. The market doesn't understand what it is your business is around or that positioning. And I think most of the successful businesses I've seen in the last 12 months have, have, understand, have understood that the importance of, I'm going to call it niching, but understanding your positioning, really strengthening that so that you're very clear as to, who and what and where and when and why you sell that product or that service and, and getting really precise about that and, and becoming a big thing within a niche rather than trying mm. to be sort of general to a lot of people and, and mm. just getting lost in the noise. So in, invariably, there's, a, there's, there's, there's usually quite a strong positioning exercise to go through with, with, with the clients when they're onboarded. Yeah, no, absolutely. What what's your positioning side of things in your business and what you know, what's your purpose? What's your vision? <laughs> that's a great question. And that's actually where I've been putting personally a lot of work into over the last six months. So, you know, the methodology. So 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 business coach, you know, what what is that? You know, most people have worked with a, a consultant, but they've not necessarily worked with a business coach. And, you know, the next thing they'll probably describe as a mentor, which is typically someone who's worked in their their sector or their arena and they're usually more mature and they're, 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 they've gone through the phases and that, that mentoring relationship kind of exists. But that's not what a coach is. Um, a coach typically, well, if I go back to business owners know their business better than anyone. Mm-hmm. So who, who, who are you to come in and tell them, you know, what their business is? I believe the role of a coach is to help them, you know, create that space for them to think, help them understand a way of thinking around it so that they can develop the right solution that is, is, is for their business. And as I say, that might focus on, on different elements of the business, but you know, that, that, that is, that is the journey. It's, it's a relationship that adds value, um, the, the longer the relationship adds, you know, typically a consultant will go in, they've got a playbook, they'll deliver that. And probably the main challenge I see in, in, in with, with the consultants is that they, the action, the, the, the action, the, the, the problem that the, the client has described, whereas nine times out of 10, the problem I'm hearing is usually a symptom of something else not being quite right within the business. And the first initial steps of working with them is to help understand what that sort of source behavior or what source issue is. And if we rectify that, the problem goes away. And it's that, that to me is the true nature of a coach is to help them create awareness around the problem. It's, 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 there's an expression I've started using over the last few months with it's a wet fish. And, uh, and you know, I often get a few crazy looks about what, what does that mean? And, but it's effectively, you know, how do you explain to a fish it's wet when it doesn't understand it's in water? You know, it, it, it doesn't understand what water is. So, you know, a, a lot of business owners, going back to your point, very stressed at the moment. And if you make that observation, you know, the, usually there's a few expletives, which is, of course, I'm, I'm stressed, yeah. But they don't really understand what the cause of it is. They just can acknowledge that they're stressed. And so until you build awareness around what is causing them stress, there's no way that you're going to change that for them. 
Um, and so that's what I mean about creating that space, creating that awareness of the problem and then giving them a way of thinking, you know, a system that allows them to change that to a different outcome that create that freedom for them. You So you're a, you're a problem solver, clearly. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and actually, it was interesting because you said that you're addicted to it. So I wondered whether that is your kind of because I think you've been you've evaded the question a little bit. Because what, what's your personal purpose? What are you? What are you all about? You know, what, yeah. what's what's Neil Armstrong? What 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 are you thinking? You know, I was put on this earth for. I I would love to have an answer that you know was was clear and concise and and you know make it sound huge and aspirational. But I, I recognise that I'm I'm not that kind of guy, and I'm very happy with that decision. My purpose, as I went back to, or my you know insight to myself, was about that kind of drive just to make things better. Mm. And the addiction part of it is controlling where you focus those attentions. You know, I think last time we talked, I I was trying to explain how I'd maybe spent a week trying to understand why my Wi-Fi wasn't working and just getting hugely addicted to that, you know, how to make it run, you know, at the speed and strength that I was paying for. And, and uh, you know, which is important at the moment because both my wife and I are working from home and, you know, you're at Zoom call, you need all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah. But but is it really something that's bringing value? No, not really. So 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 that's that's the, that's the the concern I have is you know in terms of that addiction, I, I get into that problem solving. It must be able to be done better. How do I get it done better? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a bit of a self serving thing. But if I can either avoid or fix these frustrations, then I actually have a much happier life. And and if I can then add that to other people having a much happier life, then then it creates this kind of wonderful compounded value that that you know you get the goodwill uh feeling tightness of the chest that you kind of get through i must fix this it goes you know and and you know you you earn a penny or two on the way so you know it's this sort of wonderful uh, that's my honest answer i i love i love that i love unpicking things for people and uh yeah (laughs) it gives me calm once I've solved it, I'm like, ah, oh, satisfaction. It sounds very clear to me, actually, that you've you've got that purpose. And I think the thing is, I think some, I think sometimes you often a lot of people overthink these questions. I mean, I think they're actually really important questions. Actually, you know, these because it, it kind of it's important to know who you are and what you what you're good at, really. And um, I, I think sometimes people kind of go in for the they're thinking, oh, I've got to come out with this really overly complicated and uh, very wise comment to make profound statement to be fair yeah yeah, absolutely but to be fair you know um 99.9 of the population they're not really bothered by that but if they're hearing somebody like like you say actually do you know what i love just i really enjoy fixing problems for people well do you know it's funny because um well, well, let me introduce this in a different way by asking you a question for today. So, you know, when you were when you were a kid, when you were at school, what what was your career's advice process like? You know? Oh, it was rubbish. Um, and why, yeah. why was it rubbish? What what was rubbish well, about it? They just didn't ask any. Uh, they just didn't ask the right questions at all. You know, uh, they said I was recommended to go into engineering, uh-huh. and I couldn't think of anything worse. Actually, to be honest with you. <laughs> So I did as I was told. I went and applied for sort of, you know, engineering apprenticeships and got absolutely nowhere because I was just rubbish at that sort of thing, really. And um, I'm much more people orientated. So I needed to be in an environment where I was with, you know, with people. And so I've got I basically went into the travel industry. Right. So so, you know, if we track back. So and then what's the difference between, you know, 
Steve of uh, 16, 17, making what are fundamentally first stage life decisions and Steve of, I don't know how old you are, but you know, of, of now, you know, yeah. the, the difference is purely experience, right? You know, and, and yeah. you've maybe had a bit more authority to make some decisions in your life as you've gone along, but fundamentally you've probably not changed as an individual. You might've had some, some bigger experience that have influenced you, but you know, all, all it will have done is, is either pushed you in a certain direction because you've gone, Oh, I don't like that. Or it will have encouraged you and excited you to embrace a, a, a different, a different route or a path or, or excel mm. you into a path. And it, it's a bit of a, um, you know, once I've made my millions and, and you know, and I've set up my foundations, it, it, it's, it's some, it's an area I'd like to look at with, with kids and career advice, because my belief is that, you know, I, I read a paper a couple of years ago, which described something like, you know, 70 odd percent of the jobs of the next 20, 30 years haven't even been conceived yet. So how on earth are you creating career advice that's pushing you down that, that down that kind of, you know, traditional career path? You, you mm-hmm. can't, it can't possibly be working. But if you can help people begin to identify their characteristics, their, you know, their, 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 you get, in touch with the inner self, which, you know, by 16, 17, you know, the psychologists are all stating that it's, it's, it's happened much earlier in your life. You know, your formative years of, you know, three, four, you know, that period yeah. over has, has established patterns of thought and, and behavior. And then by 16, 17, you're, you're already kind of beginning to work out the kind of guy you are or person mm. you are. You know, you, you know whether you're intelligent or not. You know whether you're a sociable animal or not. You know whether you're a homeboy or not. You know, you, 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 there are instincts and things that you will naturally gravitate to. And I just think there's the, if, if people could begin to identify those uh, intents or behaviors or, or, or core things about their, their, their themselves earlier, mm. then they would make far better contextual decisions about mm. what career in life should look like. And, and you know, there, there may be things that point you in different directions. And, 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 but typically speaking, I, I think you'll probably lead a lot happier life uh, yeah. versus, you know, the false starts that many of us have had in different careers or experiences, or, you know, it'll help you to make decisions to move on from a job faster or, or seek out the kind of job that you want. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's a huge room for improvement in that career. I think we'd all, I don't, I've never met anyone yet who, who, who looks back and thinks that was wonderful career advice, you know, uh, from, from an advisor at school. I don't think anyone's ever had that experience, but um, I think it could be. And, and that ability to get people to be much more in tune and mindful of, of, of who and what they are, begin that journey sooner yeah. so that they can understand maybe the context contextual decisions that they will make in future life and and how to complement that rather than maybe oppose it um yeah and you know it doesn't stop you changing your mind I and mean, mm. we've all we've all maybe made career changes and, and and done different things but um i think it would it would certainly set a path of you know least resistance and and, and allow you to excel faster which is typically what you see in a business when you, when you can bring in that context and provide a context for their decision making. The instant yeah. reaction is that they make decisions faster, better decisions faster. You know, the health of the business improves massively. There are some great tools out there actually, which I think should be used uh, from school age upwards. Things like Strength Finder and Colby, particularly, really interesting information that you could use practically 
by going in. Like, so, for instance, I'm a high influencer and, you know, I'm all about relationships. I'm all about people. Uh, I'm, all about, I'm all about fun or whatever. And so that information then could be used to direct your energies into, you know, if you're leaving school, into looking at industries and jobs and, and businesses with those kinds of roles involved and it's all you know so the other the other uh, test that that we do particularly in financial services is called colby and so that gives you an indication of whether you've got high follow through or a high startup that kind of thing um so you know normally normally the, the the entrepreneur would be the high startup low mm-hmm. follow through because you get you, you employ people to do the follow through for you um you know so that kind of thing and if you're a high follow through you're really into detail you love diving into um a, a problem and finding out getting information extracting information and so on and so forth so it's that kind of information that actually i think could probably do people the world of good and get them into into out of school and into the world in a much more positive shape, if you see what I mean. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. I think I, I think I follow how you're saying it. And uh, I mean, the challenge ahead of some of these kids at the moment, um, e- even from, you know, the, the most um, supported family, you know, in the world, you know, we, we see the, the exams and turbulence. And of course, they're, they're kind of, it's going to be an enigma for them, really, isn't it? As they, as they come through and, yeah. you know, it's going to be difficult. On a plus side, though, I hear an awful lot more, you know, about apprenticeships or recruitment where people are being taken straight from school into doing law degrees or accountancy degrees in actual law firms, you know, mm. and, and almost bypassing the university situation. And, and I, I don't know whether that will work or not. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not really in my, my knowledge of, of that impact, but at least people are beginning to look at different ideas. I think that's the key mm. thing. And I don't think it's acceptable to just look at a child and say, you're good at chemistry and you're good at biology, so you should do biochemistry. Mm. You know, uh, okay, and then what would I do with that? You know, that that was the dilemma I found myself coming out with a degree in, in biochemistry. Kind of, okay, <laughs> and I don't want to be a scientist. That's what I've learned, not not in the way that I understood science at the time. So, but it, but the skills did come back to be very helpful when I joined the pharmaceutical industry and. So, you know, it, it's, it's, I guess it's just about experience as much as anything else, isn't it? I mean, yeah, go back, to, go back to that. You know, if I keep it on the, on the business front, if you've got products and careers that are not even being conceived yet, then you, you've got to go out and generate that experience somehow and then mm-hmm. give yourself the, the, the opportunity to bump into something and at least make that decision at that point, you know, and I think for business owners, from my perspective, it's, it's, it's a similar thing. You know, it, it, many of them, and you've just talked about the attributes, you know, why do businesses need to change? Well, there are business owners whose skill set are around the technical knowledge of a product or service, but yeah. when the, the company gets to a certain size, or they, they've proven that concept, they can sell it, but it, when it gets to a certain size, potentially different leadership is required or different skills are required to then take mm-hmm. them on to the, the next state that can be hard for some business owners you know they don't want to, yeah. to they don't want to step away from being the main person in the in, in the firm but for you know the enlightened ones with the right kind of context what what it often means is that they find the freedom within the business to do the bits they enjoy and then have someone else do the bits they don't enjoy and yeah. Chances are that you know it'll 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 produce a much better outcome for them. So, 
you know, there's just one example about why businesses change, why why they why they need to evolve, or or, or why a dynamic that was working one day begins to be actually uh, an obstacle the next day uh, mm. to, to actually achieving that that success. Yeah, yeah. So, what are your goals for 2021 then? Uh, well, uh, I've got some personal goals, all to do with the handicap, getting back on the golf course. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I'd like to get back to being a better father again. I think the homeschooling thing is also, um, yeah, that, that relationship has suffered slightly. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of work, um, you, you know, I, I've, I've done a bit of a pivot. So one of the first questions I had to ask myself in the first lockdown was, you know, can I deliver this sort of thing online? And the answer was yes, but I had to think about the, the evolution of that that offering, mm. and that was fine. One of the things I'm really excited about is I've, I've been doing a lot of work over the last few months about um, more to do with group coaching. So, you know, go back to that question you said about the the question of are people going to be looking for more support, more community, that kind of thing. And I think I can I can reach more people and supply. All those elements of having building a network and building a community or a tribe or whatever sort of fashionable word you want to use, but taking people on a journey and allowing them to share experience along the way through a sort of group coaching piece. So, you know, I've been building a sort of, um, you know, the, the term I would use product architecture around, you know, he, he, here's a product for that smaller sort of startup or looking to establish what their first business model needs to look like. He, here's here's a course and a product for uh, the, the slightly the slightly bigger business who, who's looking to sort of really see some growth and some return. Here's a product for you know that scaling business. So we've confirmed all that, and then the more traditional, if 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 we're allowed to go back to sort of face to face stuff, will be um, my boardroom product. So that that will be again with the Ron Seal name. Back in the boardroom, it is a kind of one-on-one, but it's it's a it's a it's a one-on-one in terms of the client will be a company, but usually there's a there's a board or an exec group or something you're dealing with, and that'll be the yeah. boardroom group. So it's it's going to help. Hopefully, my vision is that I can get that support and uh, catalyst for businesses out to more people and 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 help businesses grow, um, mm. you know, recover and grow from from where they were. Yeah, no, absolutely. And really good luck with that. I mean, we've touched on it a little bit already in terms of the pandemic and how, you know, business owners are, uh, and not just business owners, everybody really, uh, are really feeling the pressure. And I just wondered, you know, just in closing, is there any sort of top tips that you can give out or not? I really don't like the word tips, but are there any sort of, is there any sort of insight that you can give or some uplifting last sort of comment to people and uh, about you know getting through this and you know what it's what it's going to be like at the end you know after this is all finished for sure uh yeah so you know what what, what leaps to mind well something i said earlier on about you know awareness you know become aware you know if there are areas of the business that are causing you let's use the word stress or concern or whatever it is and and and, and beyond the obvious of yeah money cash flow um, you know, th- these, these are outcome things. Okay, that's a negative outcome if you've got a concern about it, but there'll be source stuff that's going on. So if you if you can, you know, take a step back, give yourself the space to have a think about things and, you know, think about your business model. You know, mm. what, what is my business model? What does it look like? Can I break it down into kind of how, you know, the, the, as I say, I typically think you know, there's nine key elements to a business model. But, you know, w- what are your buckets? And then try and capture your thoughts into those nine buckets. And what you'll find is that there are 
a couple of buckets or a couple of areas of your business that are going to look fragile or the ones, and typically they're the ones that are causing the issue or the, the ones that are having the impact that's causing the issue. So if you can, if you can create that awareness, that will allow you to work on your business rather than in it. So giving yourself the space rather than being down in the trenches to kind of take a step back, have that awareness. And I think what that will help business owners do is just see that actually, you know, we're doing an awful lot right. It's just a couple of areas that we're not we're not doing so well. And if we can fix that, then that actually gets rid of all my problems. Or, or at least, you know, it's I can move on to solving the other problems as well. So yeah. that would probably be you know, a key thing. And you know, I, I would offer to, you know, if, if anyone does listen to this and, and, and they want to get in touch and, and maybe sort of explore that a bit more, and this is not a pitch, this is a genuine offer. And if they want to talk about that, maybe in a more distinct or specific issue around their business, then, you know, happy to have a, a virtual cuppa, uh, mm-hmm. you know, give an hour and, you know, talk it through with them and, and, and see, you know, from a from a separate perspective or a distant perspective, if we can frame a different context around what it is that you're experiencing and, and maybe that might give some insights for some people to, to step back and, and yeah. do something with that. But I think it's, you know, stay positive and, and be mindful and have that mindset, but ultimately, you know, give yourself the space to, to think about things and, and as I say, work on the business, not just in it. And, uh, that should that should hopefully open up some of those areas for you to to at least be aware of what the challenge might be. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So, how can people what's how can people get hold of you, Neil? And uh, you know, what's the best best way to do that? Do you know? I thought about this. Should I be adding a, a landing page to the website? And and, and it just wouldn't be me. <laughs> I think the easiest thing, Neil at GrowthCycleCoaching dot com, uh, or or find me at LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Fortunately, with a name like Neil Armstrong, you, you might find one or two of us. Apparently, there's some famous guy, so it's not worth googling Neil Armstrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> lost, lost in, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> lost you know, in space. Parents, what were you thinking? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so Neil at GrowthCycleCoaching.com, um, and as I say, I, you know, I, I'm I'm more than happy to. To, to share my addiction with other people and uh, have, a, have a cup and you know if, if that can send people on their way to a better a better you know step forward in their business then that's yeah. great you know very happy to Brilliant. That. thanks neil i really appreciate it you're now an official member of the optimism tribe fantastic <laughs> <laughs> which i know you've always wanted to be a member of yeah well um, I do know. <laughs> Absolutely. No, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. You, you've got a, some incredible insight and a lovely story. And I, um, I'm so grateful for you to coming on the show. No, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. And, and, and thanks for being my first. <laughs> oh, uh, ah, no, know, uh, the first of many. Well, let's hope so. It's, uh, it's been great. Really, really, really painless, really enjoyable. And as you framed it before, just a chat in the pub. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks, Neil. You take care. Okay. Cheers then, Steve. All right. Are you feeling stuck? Is the business like walking through glue every day? Then please do take Neil up on his offer of a free hours coaching. You just never know where it might lead you. Connect with him via his email or through LinkedIn. I'll put the details in the show notes, but please do contact him. Now, thanks for listening. I know I say this every time, but it really means a lot. And I can't thank you enough for your continued support. You're all awesome. So stay well, stay happy and keep the optimism levels high. And I'll be back with another cracking episode next week. Take care.